1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So I think one thing that's an interesting thing to think about is a lot of the time we spend thinking about sin, what sin is and how to overcome it. Tyler, do you, have you spent a whole lot of time thinking about why sin even exists? Hmm. Not particularly. I haven't thought of that. I do know that there are Uh, from my reading, I know that people ask the question, why did God create the devil? Why did he create us uh, where we could sin? Why did he give us Mm. free will? I mean, there's just all sorts of different questions. Why didn't he just make us perfect? So those are the kinds of questions that I've uh, heard before. Yeah. Being honest, when I was looking over these topics of sin and researching what sin is, how it affects us, the question of well why does sin even exist why would god create humans capable of sinning and honestly it it really kind of challenged me and it it's one of those things that you it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to answer because there isn't this clear-cut answer in the bible you can't say if you go to romans chapter 5 it says you know, this is why sin exists, or, or this is why God created humans capable of sinning. And so a lot of this, I think, is is based on sort of an overarching view of the Bible and looking at God's character. Well, I would say the one thing that it does give an explanation of is why sin exists because of what happened with Adam and Eve. They, right. They cre- right. That is the only explanation it gives. It does not give anything other than humans did not follow what God said, and therefore we all have been affected. So that is the only explanation the Bible gives us why this exists. And I think one thing we didn't even touch on last episode and you you sort of brought up is that this sin was actually sort of introduced, it was introduced to humans via Adam and Eve, but true sin started with uh, Lucifer, angel, and and how uh, he sort of fell and how Uh, he desired to be you know a god and greater than god and that's sort of that introduction to sort of that the the fracture in in creation if you will um uh, do you agree with that is that something that you would say is true yeah that that's a story that i have uh i've wrestled with a lot just like who is satan who is lucifer um that i will say that that's something that i i still wrestle with even to this day and i don't I have some explanations in the Bible, and I, but I have questions that go, I think, outside of what the Bible says, and I'm not sure if I'll ever get an answer, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I, so kind of going off that is sort of the, the thought of why, why, did God create, why did God create the devil? Why did God create humans capable of sin? And one thing that I think is brought forward as an argument for that is, and you sort of touched on this, is well, God created humans with free will. And so people just freely chose to sin. 
And I think a very easy argument back to that is, well, God has free will and God always freely chooses to do the right thing. So why wouldn't God create humans that have free will that always choose the right thing? And that's, I think, an easy rebuttal. And honestly, it kind of pokes a hole in the argument of free will is as far as like, it wouldn't, it, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense it, that God, if he could, well, I think the, I, again, I think it's just an easy whole, uh, easy argument to counter with is God can create humans capable of that. Um, uh, well, and I guess you get into the argument, is it free will if he, if he um, makes you always choose the right thing, but that's kind of a whole other conversation. Um, and so I think one thing that stuck out to me is, is kind of another question is why does God do anything? And one premise sort of that you can sort of grab from the whole Bible as like an overarching theme, theme is that God is uh, constantly doing things for the praise of his glory and for his glory and the praise of his glorious grace and uh, God being about God, that sort of uh, theology. Would you agree with that, Tyler? Yes, I think that the, I think I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, there's a, uh, the first question in the Westminster, Westminster catechism. Um, you can look up what that is. Um, we won't spend time going over what that is. Uh, but the question is, what is the purpose of man or what is the intention of man? I don't remember exactly what the question is, but it is to, um, uh, give glory to God and enjoy him forever. I, I'm maybe mm -hmm. paraphrasing that. I may have made that up. But essentially everything that we humans do in this life is meant to give glory to God. And anytime we sin, we are marring the image or the glory of God. We are not correctly representing who God is. Um, and so everything yeah. was designed to, even even things that aren't human, the mountains, the trees, the animals, all of creation is designed to give glory to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that, I think if you follow that line of logic, it starts to get a little sticky, a little messy. So you're like, okay, so God does everything kind of for the, his glory, his praise. So how does sin fit into that? And how does sin fit into that conversation of how does sin, the introduction of sin into the world, this brokenness, how does that fit with uh, bringing praise to him and glory to him? And one thing that I found uh, that was really interesting and uh, it was actually, so the article is, why did God allow the fall? This is, the author is James N. Anderson. The quote's a little long, so stick with me, but I think it provides a, a really good explanation as far as why God would allow um, to sin to enter the world and why we create a universe capable, you know, of, of sin being entered into. So uh, here's the quote it says, while the fall was a great evil, it made it possible for God to bring about even greater goods in its wake. The God glorifying goods of the incarnation, atonement, resurrection, and all the salvific blessings that flow from them. One might think an unfallen creation would be preferable to a fallen creation, and all else being equal, that's true. But all else is not equal, for our world is not merely a fallen creation. It's a fallen crea creation into which the eternal Son of God has entered, taking on human nature, perfectly expressing God's likeness in our midst, 
living a morally flawless life, making atonement for our sins through his sacrificial death, rising in triumph from the grave and ascending into heaven, where he will continually, where he continually intercedes and secures for us an eternal joyful dwelling place in God's presence. A world with no fall and no salvation is altogether less God-glorifying than a world with a tragic fall, but also a wondrous salvation. That to me was a great uh, description and really honestly it sort of brought peace to me uh, as far as why why would god create uh us capable of sin knowing the the tragic effects of it and apart from that apart from this reality the need for god and and the the atonement and the resurrection all of those gifts that he has provided to us may not be as present or prevalent in a world without sin would you agree with that yeah one thing that I think is important to remember, and this is, goes into a whole nother doctrine, is that God exists, he's one God that exists in three persons. So yeah. in him is commu- is community. In him is a, a dance between these persons. So when we think about why did God create us, why didn't he create us perfect? Well, that's kind of an individualistic question. You're thinking about yourself like, I, I don't want to mess up. Well, God doesn't necessarily want us to live independent of each other. He wants us to be in communion. And he, in fact, he wants us actually to depend on him. That's part mm-hmm. of the design order is he wants us to depend on him. Mm-hmm. So to live in a place that's perfect, that we don't need God, would not be as God glorifying. In in yeah. the actual definition it does not glorify God because God exists in community. God exists mm-hmm. with interaction. To be perfect and without need of anybody else would not cause community. And one thing I think it's important to note that knowing kind of my sort of reconstruction process, a logical line of, of to think about this coming from everything we've just said is, wow, this God seems really centered on God. Is God an egomaniac? Is God, uh, why is he uh, in need of our praise? And that's probably another episode <laughs> that we're going to cover. Well, uh, so I wanted to kind of mention there. So you mentioned before how God, you know, always chooses good. Um, and, and it makes it sound like God could choose evil if he wanted to. But the fact is God is perfect. And he always mm-hmm. is the same. He will, he, yeah. he cannot do something that's outside of right. his character and his character is love and his character is righteous and his character is just and all of these things. And you could go on and mm-hmm. on about that. But the reality is it's not like he can, oh, well, today he's yeah. going to lie to you or tomorrow he could, you know, do this thing that's sinful. The fact is he can't do anything that's with outside yeah. of his character which is perfection. And that's a hard thing to really, I guess people have a difficult yeah. time with that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, you brought that up is not only does he set the standard for what is right and wrong, but he is the standard for what is right. And that's uh, something I think that's, you know, we're as Christians, we're trying to always grow closer to, you know, his being like him, the standard of goodness. So yeah, that's a great point. Um, and uh, kind of going back to what we were just talking about, um, Romans chapter 9, verses 22 through 23, um, 
says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So sort of um, kind of complementing what we were just talking about is um, God is patient with sin. And through this patience and withholding his wrath, he is able to display his glory and his his mercy and his grace more profoundly because of the um, because of the presence of sin in our lives and our culture. And without that fracturedness, we may not. Uh, and I'm not saying we wouldn't be able to see it in another universe, but theoretically, we may not be able to um, see that as prevalently if we were perfect. If that makes sense. I never um, thought about that before. That's a really good point. And I think one thing too to think about is uh, kind of talking about like, why does God do the things he does? Like another, some other questions that aren't really related to sin, um, but it's sort of kind of all in that same bubble as far as why does God do the thing he, is, he does? Why did he create humans capable of sin? Why didn't God send uh, Jesus as an adult? Why did he have to be sent to be born, um, you know, through, through the Virgin Mary uh, why there, there's a lot. And then you could even say, why did God uh, wait to give the law to Moses? Why wasn't it present from the beginning? Um, one quote I grabbed from John Piper. This is really interesting. And it, again, this sort of provided a little bit of context. And it was pretty interesting to think about sort of why God does the things he does. Um, and this is what he said. He said, God has designed the world and cultures and the nature of humanity so that certain conditions, certain states of affairs come about in the world gradually. We can always second guess why God would ordain it to be that way, but he has told us that some things take time, meaning taking all of reality into account. God thought it wise that things would develop the way they do. And I think that that quote also is relevant to sanctification. And I think that's a part of salvation. But, you know, why, why do I still struggle with sin if I'm saved? And God has designed the world. And you can, there's several examples that I just provided, but even beyond that is uh, God has created uh, creation in general, humans, animals, um, things of that sort to develop over time. And, and there's even processes within ourselves, maturing over time, growing over time, becoming more wise. Those things don't happen over time. And uh, it would appear that Piper would argue that that's, that's something that God intended to be. Um, would you agree with that sort of philosophy? I think that the a lot of times people believe that Christianity is all about quick fixes. So, for yeah. instance, <laughs> if I'm saved or if God saves me, I don't have to struggle with sin anymore. Um, mm. If I'm saved, then I don't. I'll have blessings. I'll have material blessings. I'll always yeah. go on the up and up that I will never suffer. And it's just not true. And I think mm. that's just our human nature. It, just saying that, you know, because, you know, we're, we're following God or, you know, we're doing whatever that things are on the up and up and that I'll never have to struggle again. And that's just not the way, like you said, that's not the way God has designed this to work. And so, um, I, I th and I think the other thing is, is that, like we already said, God is true to himself. If he makes a promise, then he's going to stick to that promise. So, for instance, God made the promise in the garden. If you sin, you will surely die. That's a promise, and he has held to that promise. 
He must keep that promise. And so now, through Jesus coming and being resurrected, he can change the outcome of that process. Of that mm. promise, I should say. Of the of the, what he said. He said, now I'm going to, uh, while they will still die physically, I am now bringing about life through Jesus. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a whole kind of redemption. You know, God um, at work in the process and um and and redirecting things towards him and for him and his glory and his praise a rule follower that's me it was simple to me really rules were meant to be kept not broken and if i was going to follow the rules i was going to be the best at it i've always had a sinful bent towards perfectionism pursuing my own version of righteousness. I honestly believe that I could live life without sin if I really tried hard enough. And even if I didn't, I was going to be way better than other Christians because I tried more than them. You know, I I wasn't going to just be a good person. I was going to be a great one. And just like that, the sin of self-righteousness, pride, and judgment slipped into my life. You see, sin doesn't just destroy relationships it destroys the self. No matter how good of a person I thought I was on the outside, deep down, my heart told a different story. That, that sort of leads us to how, how is sin viewed? And we, in the first episode, we talked about how we were raised with, uh, how we viewed sin as we are raised. We, are, we want to kind of broaden that topic to what is culture and maybe even the church? How does uh, the church and uh, people that aren't in the, a part of the church, how do they view sin? And I think one part, uh, a common uh, argument, I guess, to or uh, for people who are not Christians, I think people who are not Christians, there's a thought, and I've heard it said over and over is, I'm not a bad person. I, I try to do good. I, I, I feel like I do good for most of the time. And sure, I, I make mistakes. And I feel like that's a fairly common, even if it's not verbally said out loud, it's something internalized. Do you see that, you know, in, in conversations you've had with people? And I, yes, I, I hear that all the time is just, oh, I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to be a better Christian, um, which I'm yeah. not really sure what that means. But, um, right. <laughs> but I think the reality is, when you say I'm trying to be a good person or I am or I am a good person, you're meaning a couple different things. The first thing you could mean is at the end of my life, God is going to look at my good and bad and he's going to weigh them on the balance and he's going to figure yeah. out, oh, you were more good than you were bad. Therefore, you get to go into heaven. That's one belief. Or the yeah. other belief is that I don't really do that many bad things. So I'm, a, I'm just a good person. Like even though the bad things that I do, those aren't like I, I do white lies. I, you know. I cut somebody off in traffic. I go over the yeah. speed limit. Like those aren't that big of a deal. In general, I'm a good person, which contradicts what the Bible says, which says that by your nature, you are evil. You are set against God. You're a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebellion. So, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> it's funny you brought that up. Um, I had sort of an analogy that I think it's like a visualization that came to mind when thinking about. And I think this, I don't even think this is specific to non-Christians. I think people within the church also, and again, it may not be something you would say out loud, but it's something I believe that it is internalized. I have this like vision of like 
poker chips. And every time you do something good, it goes into one pile. When you do something bad, it goes into another pile, poker chip. And they're stacking, stacking, stacking until eventually you're all in, you're dead. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in, uh, you're facing God. And whichever pile is higher is determines who, you know, what kind of life you led and whether or not you go to heaven. And again, I, I, I don't think it's something that a whole lot of people are going to say out loud. And, and sometimes they do say, I, I'm a good person. I try to do good, blah, 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 whatever. But I think that, and even for me, I think there's an easy, it's easy for me to like get caught in doing things, doing, doing, doing to amplify, make me feel better, my self-esteem as a Christian. And, and it's almost like, okay, I threw in, I, I've thrown in like five good poker chips today. And, and I'm like, you know, it's really, you know, I'm, I'm doing really good. Well then, you know, give it about a week or maybe even a day that pile shifts completely. Yeah, and now I feel true. like I'm no longer saved. Yeah. And I think that goes to, we're going to talk about this in the next episode is what is it that we are judged on? What is the thing that saves us? And the theology of my good outweighs my bad is not a theology that's in the Bible, or I should say this, mm -hmm. it's in the Bible, but it's not talked about in a good light. Yeah. Well, and kind of talking about what you said, you said you brought up, you know, that we're rebels of God, that um, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses. The Bible says uh, kind of to, counter that whole conversation of i'm a good person i do good it says all of us uh this is isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags we all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away so even our most righteous acts that you could think of maybe giving to charity maybe uh buying something for someone really expensive that those most righteous acts even the motives behind that are most likely not good motives like there there's even yeah. there, you can't find that that's and again our most righteous acts are like filthy rags i mean i don't i that's a pretty like uh it's like a comparing to filthy rags is pretty severe um Filthy. I, I mean, I think of, when I think yeah. of filthy rags, I think of like cleaning the bathroom and the bathroom floors or something like right. it's it's worthless. Yeah, and I think that's where that understanding of the problem is with a, a heart that needs to be transformed, and we can't transform our heart. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, and so <laughs> I had sort of another analogy, and this is a pretty weird one, <laughs> but just stick with me. Uh, it might be a little strange. It's kind of funny. Uh, Growing up, Tyler, did you did anyone ever wet the pool when you were like swimming? Like, did you ever? I'm like... sure. I think every pool has some <laughs> sort of fecal matter or yeah. other things in it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I visualize sort of like um, the difference between between being like in sin versus non sin is like if you knew like once someone pees in the pool it ruins the pool until the pool is cleaned right so right. until you drain that pool or you um you pump in chlorine or whatever you do yeah. to clean that out it's completely ruined the pool um and it, it that that to me was like sort of like an analogy as far as like being in sin versus not being in sin um and, and even going to church it was really interesting i they talked about 
there's there's this common uh, thought that there's like different categories to put people in. So you have people who are uh, sinners, you have people who are pretty good, and then you have people who are Christians. But really, it's you're it's two categories. You're either dead in your trespasses or you're covered by the grace of God. And and I think one thing that we should emphasize is um, there aren't varying levels of being dead. Like you're once you're dead, you're dead. It's not like you look at a guy, you're like, oh man, that guy's like extra dead. He's like he's like on level five of being dead. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're just dead. Like that's all it is. And when you're in that sin, sin is equal to death. There, there's only one way you can come out of that, and that's a rebirth, and that's becoming a new creation. And so I think that it's easy for us to to have that mentality of the poker chip mentality. Um, as far as like, man, my pile of sins is so much higher than this other person's. And and that's where I think we, and especially me, I think I really struggle with that is, is comparing sins, comparing how dead I am compared to someone else. Yeah. And I think that you can even go the opposite way. You compare yourself to somebody else's, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I will make yeah. it into heaven. And so the problem yeah. with that is the the measuring stick you should use is Jesus. He is the measuring stick. Mm. This person over here, I heard a pastor once say, it's like you're measuring, you know, yourself against you know a JV person over here versus like the professional uh, yeah. athlete or something like that. Uh, and so your measuring stick should not be a person that you you know look at and you say, oh, well, I'm better than that. It's Jesus, and He's perfect, and then you're not mm. perfect. So therefore. You're in sin. <laughs> yeah. And until we have our pool cleaned, God cannot commune with us. <laughs> it's true. Very good. I'm still trying to like connect the dots with the weird yes. peeing in the pool analogy. <laughs> uh, very. Uh, people are like, what is happening? We're talking a lot about pee and poop right now. <laughs> well, I didn't say poop. I just said pee. But well, uh, it's there now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, th- I, I think that sort of gives us a brief overview of what sin is, how it affects us, how culture at wide views it. Um, but now you might be left with, okay, now I know what sin is and I know how it impacts me directly. What should I do with it? And Tyler, do you want to kind of hint at what we're going to be talking about next in our next few episodes? Yeah, I think we, we segued really good in a good way there because you were talking about being dead in your trespasses. And we're going to actually read that verse in our next episode of being dead in our trespasses and that God brings us back to life. And so we're going to be talking about salvation. What does that mean? But also on top of that, there are a lot of things that uh, growing up, Tanner and I have experienced that really uh, hindered us in our faith, believing that we were saved believing that God loved us, um, that he wasn't upset with us every time that we sinned, which we've talked about over and over, is that we're still struggling with sin. So does God love us even after that initial conversion? So those are just some things we'll be talking about. Yep. So um, thanks for uh, listening, and hopefully you'll join us in the next episode.